0: I wonder if there have been any studies about this that show like hey with increased english skills come you know increased revenue or earnings opportunities and uh yeah i came across a couple studies in various different sources uh there's one by ef language first there was something on forbes i believe as well and yeah the, the basic findings were that you know if you can go from just like an intermediate level of english to a, an advanced level of english that correlated with uh, typically around like an 18% increase in your earning opportunity. Um, now, certainly that will vary depending on your, um, you know, your field and, and your other skills, of course, but it just shows that there is a very real economic incentive to you know, increase your, your English language skills for sure.
1: Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help you navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search and change careers with confidence. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Kevin Naglitch to the podcast. Kevin helps international students and immigrants get out of English intermediate purgatory so they can speak more confidently at work. He is passionate about helping people naturally express themselves and get better jobs. And as the founder of Deliberate English, he's built an online community designed to help busy professionals take their English to the next level faster through active deliberate practice. Today, we dig into the nuances of professional communications, how what you say shapes your career and what non-native speakers can do to increase their career success through that same deliberate practice. We appreciate your time, and thank you for tuning into this episode of the Career Therapy Podcast. If you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes or share this with friends. And without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Kevin Naglish. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm super excited to get into it and talk about the work you do and how it can really help people, you know, learn how to build confidence and speak more confidently about their careers and and really develop in a lot of different ways. One of the things uh, I'd love to just kick things off with is just a quick breakdown of the type of work you do and the people you work with.
0: Sure, of course. So I help international students and immigrants with an intermediate level of English speak more confidently at work so they can ultimately get a better job, perform better, what have you. And these are typically people that, you know, they, they, can, they can speak, right? that they, they can communicate as a native speaker. You might hear them and think, yeah, you know, that, that's fine. Um, but they're, they're really just not confident in the way that they speak, right? They, they feel somewhat limited, somewhat trapped, they can't express themselves. And so my mission is to help these individuals get past those sort of internal roadblocks around their language skills, so that they can start to do what they really want, which is to succeed in their career, to switch careers, etc.
1: Yeah, and I was looking through your website, and I noticed uh, you have like a really cool sort of uh, breakdown of how much more Revenue and money you can make, income you can make, um, based on your ability to communicate. You, what, what was, how did you come across that stat, and how did you put that together?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was, it was something that I originally thought about because one of my, my, well, now family members, uh, one of my brother in laws, he was, he's an immigrant from Chile, and um, you know, he was going through this whole process of trying to find a job and didn't know how to do it. Um, didn't have the confidence, right, to to bust into that uh, space, and so I worked with him a lot to try to get him over those hurdles and get him into a career, and as he eventually was able to to get a a pretty solid job as an admissions advisor at a university, we, we just thought, like, hey, this is something that is, is very repeatable. This is something that's going to apply to a lot of people. and I wonder if there have been any studies about this that show like hey w- with increased English skills come you know increased revenue opp- or earnings opportunities. And uh, yeah, I came across a, a couple studies in, in various different sources. Uh, there was one by EF Language first. There was something on Forbes, I believe as well. And yeah, the, the basic findings were that, you know, if you can go from just like an intermediate level of English to a, an advanced level of English that correlated with uh, typically around like an 18% increase in your earning opportunity. Um, now, certainly that will vary depending on your, um, you know, your field and, and your other skills, of course, but it just shows that there is a very real economic incentive to, you know, increase your, your English language skills for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and it, it is kind of fun to watch where
1: you and I overlap, right? Because um, a lot of what I'm doing is helping people build confidence in their storytelling. And really, a lot of my job is communications focused, right? I come from marketing and advertising. And so you're just, mm-hmm. you can only imagine, right? Like if someone who's native, who's struggling to tell their story and get their point across and showcase their value and ace a job interview, if they're struggling as much as they are, imagine adding in that additional layer. And I've worked with people from different countries who have been trying to, you know, break into the US market. And I've seen firsthand how difficult it can be, especially if there's a language barrier there. And one of the things you and I were talking about prior is just like that, uh, just because you can say you can get your point across, let's say doesn't mean you're getting it across Mm -hmm. in the emotional way you want or in the like, you know, Necessarily, the nuanced way that you really want to get it across, and you know, as people who work in this field, there's a lot that comes through in just body language and confidence and presence and things like that. I always say, you know, your goal is to build trust and rapport in an interview. But if you're not feeling confident, how are you going to build trust and rapport, right? Especially the rapport piece in your case. And so, uh, when it comes to that, the difference between the two levels, right? You have someone who's intermediate going to advanced, what does that practically look like? What does the difference practically look like in your in the people you work with?
0: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that's lost in, in between those two levels is sort of a, a, an ability to, to deal with nuance. So if you're intermediate, you can, again, you can talk, you can have a conversation, um, you can uh, get what you need usually, but you, you don't really have all of those other little flavors that, that make our language so interesting and that can convey meaning beyond just what your basic words are. And so, you know, for example, in, in the English language, we are very concerned about being polite all the time. So when we ask for things, it's like, oh, could you do this? Or if you have time, or if you don't mind, you know, we add these things to everything we say. But in other languages, they're much more direct. It's just like, hey, give me this. And to us, that sounds rude. But to them, that's just normal. And so when you're an intermediate speaker, you know, your, your biggest reference point is your native language. And so you tend to do a lot of like translating in your head. You're just translating exactly what you would say in your native language into English. And while that may get you the basics that you need, it's not conveying who you are. It's not conveying what you want to convey. And so like a specific example that I see all the time with some of my clients that I work with at first is like when they need something in an email, it's like, I need you to do this. I need you to send me this. I need, I need, I need. And again, to a native ear, that's like pushy. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> that, that doesn't sound super polite. I, I, don't, I don't get what this person's deal is. Why do they keep saying this to me? Um, but to them, they don't, they don't know anybody, right? And so that's where you know, I think you, you start to see some of the difference between, okay, intermediate, and basic functionality. I can, I can ask for things, but I'm losing that extra polish. I'm losing that way for me to convey, Hey, I am a nice person. I swear. I'm a nice person. I swear. I'm not trying to, to be rude here. I just, this is what I know. And this is the best I can do.
1: That's fascinating. And it's so funny. Cause like when I'm working with people, sometimes they over overdo it on on the politeness, right? So a big thing that I'm helping people do, and I like that you call that this phrase, I need, right? When it comes to the job search, even for native speakers, there's this hefty focus on like, I'm trying to get a job. I want this position. I want you to take a chance on me. Someone said that yesterday. And I'm like, <laughs> no company is taking a chance on you. They're either making money off of your work, or they're firing you. That's that's it at the end of the day. And so um, it is interesting because it's like we're, you know, you're helping teach people be more polite. And I'm almost helping teach people to be like, less polite in a way, but like more direct in terms of like, you know, here's how I bring value. And so it is that kind of nuanced middle ground that we're sort of helping bring people to, in order to be able to be a value add in order to, be able to communicate your, your ability to help in a great way. And, and I love your example there of like being too direct in an email. I need, I need, I need like, that is such a, so much of the issue that people have at work. And the reason people don't get promoted and stuff, because it is a relationship situation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, People are like, you know, I've been here for five years and I haven't been promoted or, um, to where I want to be, or, you know, I'm doing such great work. I'm so much smarter than these other people that are getting promoted. Why am I not moving up? And it's like, well, there's (laughs) politics and there's people and there's relationships you have to manage and stuff like that. And so, you know, at what point, um, like what are some of the light bulb moments that you see people have when they're moving from that intermediate stage to that advanced stage? What are some of those moments where like, oh my gosh, I'm having like a breakthrough in either how I write emails or how I communicate with people at work?
0: Yeah, so- I think what really this comes down to is part of what I really try to encourage when I'm working with clients or what basically what I base everything on when I'm working with my clients, which is building a consistent feedback loop. So that means they're collecting new things, new expressions, new terms, they're using them in new ways. But then most importantly, I give them feedback on everything. And the reason I say that is because rarely in learning a language is there just a oh my God, I, I watched a video and now I'm great. Or I did one week of a course and now I'm perfectly fluent and all my mistakes are gone. Like that that usually doesn't happen. And so, and this leads to a lot of the problems with confidence because it's a much more gradual process. And it's, it's kind of like when you were a kid and you're growing up, right? Like your, your parents every day aren't like, wow, you grew so much yesterday. Wow, you grew so much yesterday. Wow, you... <laughs> but your grandparents, when they see you once a month, they're like, wow, you grew a lot this past month, right? So it's like, as you're going through this day to day, you don't really see like every day there's a huge light bulb moment. But if you are in a place where you're getting consistent feedback, now there is this external party, you know, me in, in my case, that's showing you, hey, yeah, look, you, you did better here. You did better here. We need to refine this piece a little bit more and go from there. But you know, kind of tying that back to a point you made earlier too, you, know, you said sometimes people are too polite. This is a common problem. Like once a language learner, and, and I was guilty of this too, and still am in some cases when I'm learning Spanish, is that you learn something new and then it's like, you think you just need to use it all the time. <laughs> like, um, so if I teach someone how to be polite, then they overuse it. Or like uh, one of my favorite examples is there was this one student I worked with who learned the term, um, it was snowed under. It's like, oh, you know, I'm snowed under with work. And so, like, like every time he wanted to say something about just being busy, it was he was always snowed under. And I'm like, it's a, it's a, it's a nice term. It's, it's a very descriptive term, um, but we don't wanna use it all the time or it sort of loses its meaning, right? That's an exaggeration. That's something where you say like maybe once a month or, or at most, right? And, and that's where that feedback comes in. Cause without it, you just, you see a term you use it, okay, cool. I'm going to use this forever now. But it's through that constant feedback loop that not only are you going to see progress, but you're going to make sure that you're using things in the appropriate way and not overdoing it.
1: Yeah, that's so incredible. It's I didn't, I never even thought about phrases like that and how you can overuse them. Uh, I was talking to someone yesterday and they had just filled out an entire application. They had to do a whole writing assignment and all this different stuff. And they didn't feel confident about the job and their ability to do it. And they were like, you know, at the end of the like optional cover letter, I almost apologized. (laughs) I almost apologized for my, like the, the lack of quality of my work. And she, she was like, I thought of you. And I was like, Martin would slap me if I said, I'm sorry right now. I was like, I didn't realize I had such a slappable energy, but, um, it was just one of those moments (laughs) where like, it was just they they were like oh right you're not supposed to apologize for everything right you're not and and i think especially if you're lacking confidence especially if you're not sure what to say um and i've seen that with some of my international clients is that they apo- over apologize all the time for their inability mm-hmm. to say something correctly and i think in an interview right. like the the pressure is so so hot right like it's you know you're mm-hmm. almost like even if you're a native speaker, you're like, did I say that right? Did I ramble too much? Did I answer the question correctly? And then, you know, you add in again, these extra layers and suddenly you're just apologizing after every question. And like, have you seen Mm -hmm. different dynamics arise at the different parts of the job search? Like where, where are the, the biggest struggles throughout the job search? Is it in writing the resume or the cover letter, or is it in the follow-up emails, maybe the thank you notes, or is it the interview? Like
0: what parts are the toughest
1: for, for folks?
0: Yeah, the, the problems that are, are most common, well, I should say are most commonly complained about um, are typically speaking and writing. Um, and, and and uncoincidentally, right, That those are both generating the language. Um, so when, once you get to like a, a, an intermediate level or an upper intermediate level, you typically understand more than what you can actually say. So a lot of these people, you know, they can, or or they think that, you know, hey, I'm just going to watch a bunch of movies on Netflix or a bunch of videos on YouTube and English, and I'm just going to learn how to speak better. And, and so that's kind of like a, a myth, I think, that you see in a lot of places online when you learn about language learning. And then that leads you to start feeling inferior and a lack of confidence because you're like, Hey, I've been watching videos, but I'm not improving, right? Like I still have the same problems when I speak and I'm still not writing well. And then you start to blame yourself for that. And so when we think about like a job search perspective, yeah, there's a lack of confidence in their writing and getting their tone across. And then from a speaking perspective, you know, something they often talk about or my students will talk about is, you know, I get stuck in a conversation, like I lose my place. Um, I don't have the vocabulary I, I, I want or I need to express that idea. I mean, imagine if you're in a job interview and, and somebody asks you, you know, hey, tell me about this skill. And you know that you're awesome at that skill, but you don't have the vocabulary that you need to explain how good you are, that, and how frustrating would that be, right? You're, you're trapped in like this language prison. You know, you're inside. I'm really skilled at this. I can do this. But the words that come out of your mouth are just, you know, yes, I can do that. Like that's, that's not how, that's not selling yourself. Like you said earlier, that's the, that's not sales. That's just yes or no question. And that's not really painting the picture for that, you know, employer that, yeah, this is someone who has a lot of experience here that knows it as well, that that's confident in it. When you just give that basic answer, you, you're just kind of stuck, right? You're not showing them everything that you can be.
1: Yeah. Oh man. And this brings us into that storytelling piece, right? Because, you know, a big piece of what I teach people is the star method, situation, task, action, result. And I have like a twist on it. It's a SPARL method, way worse acronym, but it's situation, mm. problem, action, result, and then the learning from it. And we even toss in mm. at the end, like ask a question, right. And engage the interviewer back into that rapport. And I would imagine if like, you know, if you're just in that, uh, you know, fact-based sort of storytelling, um, form, you're, you're not going to be able to give that nuance. You're not gonna be able to even maybe ask the right questions in the right way. Um, Mm -hmm. how do you sort of help people with formulating, you know, rapport and asking questions and having a bit of a back and forth as well versus
0: just the one way speaking? Yeah. So, a lot of the one way speaking is because of that inner fear and lack of confidence. And so you're trying to minimize how much you talk because you want to minimize the risk of making a mistake. Like you just, you feel really terrible when you make mistakes, you feel like you're going to sound stupid. And, and so you typically tend to talk a little less because you don't want to have more opportunities to, to get stuck and, and to be able to and start making those mistakes. And so in order to to sort of coach some of that rapport building um this is where a specific type of, of practice comes into play and it's what's called deliberate practice so kind of contrasting this really quick I, I mentioned before you know just like watching videos passively doing things that's what i would call passive practice because you're just kind of letting language wash over you right but with deliberate practice the whole point is that you are specifically going to work on something that is slightly beyond your abilities right now. So you're currently not really capable of doing this thing. It's, it's just beyond the edge of what you're comfortable doing. And so when we're doing this type of deliberate practice, when I'm working with my clients in, in the community, the, the shape that that takes is I give them some sort of, um, let's say it's in a live class. I give them some sort of prompt, be like, hey, we're gonna practice Uh, selling ourselves today. So I want you to tell me for the next three minutes about yourself, about your your background and and what makes you great at what you do. And then that's going to be very uncomfortable for them, right? Like they, this is where they struggle. They know they're going to make mistakes. They would typically try to avoid talking for that long, but I force them to talk that long. And then as they're doing that, I'm basically keeping track of everything that they're saying so that afterwards we can look sort of sentence by sentence at, okay, so here were some things that were really good. This is great. You know, getting that reassurance from a native speaker is is part of the confidence building process. But then also, you know, in this one, instead of saying X, Y, Z, here's a better, more descriptive way to say it now. Okay. Say that sentence back to me out loud. Okay. Now say it from memory. Out loud. Right. And so it's this process of um, I'm forcing you to do something that you're currently not comfortable with. Then we're breaking it down, getting feedback, and then you're going to try to use it again. That's how we're ultimately going to help people break beyond that initial, oh, I just don't want to say anything because I don't want to make mistakes into, okay, I'm going to actually take a risk now and explain more of these things because A, I've already done it 10 times with Kevin. And, you know, B, I know that a lot of the things I'm saying is is good right they're they're accurate and so i think a lot of confidence and we'll see if you agree or not is just built through repeated exposure to stressors and realizing that the world didn't end after that stressor
1: right (laughs) i love the way you phrase that the world didn't end that is (laughs) <laughs> that's the key right and i and i do agree with you 100% because you know with the people that i work with um, they're usually transitioning into new fields right so a whole new world of jargon that they're not in tune with right and you know someone trying to break into cybersecurity is going to be very overwhelmed if they're coming from a military background or if they're coming from a you know education background or something and um, i'm con- especially military folks I, they're I'm constantly trying to talk help people like translate um, their experiences and and make them sort of fit this new world. People tend to have this, like, I don't know, maybe fear is what I would call it of like, if I say it in the way that I've been saying it, no one will understand it. And I, I don't feel like that's necessarily true. I think it's maybe a little overblown in their minds, but we still work on mm-hmm. it and we still trying. Okay, well, you said you know, project management was called this in your previous role, but let's call it project management here in, in, in in the jargony ways. But I do Mm -hmm. think that it is that like, that, that ability to just keep practicing it over and over again. I had someone who said, uh, I'll start networking once I get the jargon down. And I said, no, you're only going to get the jargon down (laughs) if you start networking. Right. And, uh, and, and so once they actually started meeting people, they're like, oh yeah, you're right. It sticks a lot more when I'm talking to people and hearing them say it. And, and I like what you said, where you're like pushing them to get off book and, and do it from memory. Um, I was helping someone train for a Ted talk once and they had their script in front of them. And I ripped that thing out of their hands as fast as I possibly could because I was like, get off book. (laughs) Being on book is not good. You're never going to remember it this way. Um, So I Mm -hmm. love what you're saying there because I do think that that is like the key to building confidence is the ability to recall it. And I've even had some people who are like, can I just keep my answers up on my screen while I'm interviewing. And I'm like, please don't reading off a piece of paper <laughs> is only going to either one sound robotic or two screw you up. Cause you're going to lose your place. And then you're going to like, go, <laughs> go haywire. Um, mm-hmm. when you do push people to the edge of their comfort zone, what sort of pushback do you typically get? Cause, um, you know, in the job search, there's all sorts of different anxieties and triggers and different things that kind of come up to Sort of halt people in there, and, and we keep pushing them through those barriers, right? But what are the typical barriers that you come
0: across? It, it kind of goes back to what you mentioned earlier about people over apologizing for things. Like, you know, the first time or the first few times people go through these exercises with me, um, you know, I have them talk, and then like halfway through, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to say that, or oh, I don't know what to say next, or I don't know. I'm so like that. They just get so worked up about it. Right. And and that's where, you know, again, the coaching comes in. So I'm like, Hey, this is a, this is a safe space here. There's, there's, we're just here to practice. Like there's nothing to worry about. Like, just keep talking. I I don't even care if you're still talking about the same thing I asked you to at the beginning, just keep talking. Right. Cause one of the other things I tell my students a lot is that you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Like you're, you're always going to have a slight degree of discomfort and, You know, it's funny you mentioned cybersecurity before, because that is my background, like for the past uh, nine years before um, switching to work on delivered English full-time, I was a sales engineer for a software company that sold cybersecurity products and talk about jargon and all these technical things and all this stuff you had to learn. Like that was extremely stressful and never at any point in those nine years was I just like, oh yeah, this is, this is no problem. I I got this down. Like I, I have nothing to worry about anymore. But what I what I did do is I got comfortable being uncomfortable, I, I got good at anticipating some of the questions they were going to ask me. And then when I was prepping, I would just try to impromptu address some of those questions. And that's what I'm doing with these students too. So you know, they're, they're, they're feeling stressed, they're, they're apologizing for what they're saying. And a lot of times they'll then ask me, hey, for the next class, can you give me a list of the topics first, so that I can prepare and then, like you said, the answer is no, no, I, I don't want you to prepare because then that's not true to life. Like in 95% of situations in life, you're not going to be able to prepare word for word every single thing you're going to say, unless you're giving like a written speech in front of like a teleprompter or something, right? But in a conversation, it's all improv, right? So you can get the general ideas of what you want to say but you still have to think on the spot. And that's what I'm basically simulating with these students in this community, in these classes is no, you're, you need to think on the spot. We're going to push you to that comfort zone, outside of the comfort zone, don't apologize. And now let's work together to improve that. I love that.
1: Oh man, I, I'm so <laughs> glad that you're making people improv because that, I think I think taking improv classes was probably one of the biggest benefits I've ever had in my life when it comes to communication, because it does just sort of shock your nervous system to a point where you're just like, I guess I have to go. I don't even know. (laughs) Like, let's figure it out. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're bringing up something that I do in my mock interviews, which is, um, you know, I'll, I say to people at the beginning of the mock interview, pretend I'm not your coach. I am a real interviewer. Um, Because if I don't say that, what they end up doing is start answering a question incorrectly. And then they go, oh, wait, let me try that again. And I'm like, you could never do that in an interview. And what you're doing when you say that is you're robbing yourself of the recovery mechanism of your brain. Mm. And I'm always trying to encourage people rather than trying to avoid mistakes, get a lot better at recovering from mistakes. Mm. And what the way I see this in my own life is I'm a rambler. I I love rambling. I go off topic. I go in all sorts of different directions. (laughs) And I used to like have that fight what is it? Fight, flight or freeze mechanism. Right. Mm. And for me, it was like freeze. I would just like get stuck and like have a frog in my throat and it would be terrible. (laughs) And, (laughs) and I just remember um, like at, at a certain point I was like, what, what other ways can I respond to this emotionally when I start rambling? And I was like, what if I just respond with like over excitement? What if I'm like, you know, all right. I catch myself rambling instead of freezing and getting panicky. I go, I'm sorry. I I get really excited about these topics. Let me restate the question and try again. And almost always the interviewer is like, sure, whatever. Like they don't really care that much. (laughs) And they're like, they're like, actually, I forgot what question I asked. So I'm glad you repeated it, you know? And so Mm. I'm always encouraging people to like, get better at responding properly when things go wrong, rather than trying to avoid it. Because I think that's the avoidance piece that you called out is such an important thing for people to stop doing. We cannot avoid these uncomfortable situations. We can only embrace them and push through them. What are some of the other types of uh, emotional responses you see in people? There's over apologizing. There's obviously anxiety, but like, do people ever freeze? Do people ever like, I don't know, run run away somehow? How would you run away
0: from an interview? I don't even know. (laughs) But like, what sort of things do you see come up emotionally for folks? So, so freezing, I mean, definitely happens for sure. Um, But I think, you know, going to to what you were just talking about, about the recovery of mistakes, I, I think what often happens is people tend to result or resort to grading themselves. And so what I mean by that is like, you know, when you're a kid and you're going through middle school and high school, right? You, you make mistakes on a paper, your teacher writes it up in red ink, and then they give you a grade and maybe it's not very good. And then your parents yell at you. And it's this very like negative experience all the way through. And so when people are going through these, these, these challenges with English, and they're going through these exercises, they start to count, they count the number of mistakes they make. And they're like, oh my goodness, I made some mistakes. And so you know, we talked about freezing and apologizing. And there's also just like this deflating, right? You start to just get depressed with yourself because you're like, oh, I've been taking these courses, I've been practicing, and I still make 10 mistakes every time I talk, or I still make 15 mistakes every time I talk. And it's like, they're, they're just resorting to this old way of thinking of the number of mistakes equals your grade. And maybe that was true in high school, but that's not true in, in real life, at least as far as language learning is concerned. And so what I try to encourage them when they start to grade themselves like this is to stop thinking of the mistakes as this grade, but think of them as a custom study plan. It's a custom study plan. Because you know, if we think back again to just like a live class, you go to a class, the teacher's prepared some, some lesson for you, and they go talk about whatever that lesson is. If you're just sitting there listening to it, maybe 50% of it's relevant to you, maybe 20% is relevant to you, maybe 80, but there's a good chance that not everything that teacher's saying that whole time is relevant if they're just talking at you the whole time. Versus when I'm doing a class with a student in my community, as I said, 90% of the time, they're talking. I'm not talking so we're looking at their specific mistakes and instead of counting them to give a grade we say hey this is an area that's highly relevant to you we were just talking about your job this is a mistake you're making when you're talking about your job so let's fix it and so when something is relevant and timely those are the things that your brain is going to remember versus oh kevin gave a, a class today where he talked for an hour about you know the best action verbs to put on your resume like maybe that person doesn't care about their resume right now. Maybe they already feel good about action verbs. So that might not be relevant to them. They just wasted an hour versus, hey, let's look at the mistakes. We're not gonna count them to give you a grade so you feel depressed, or we're gonna use them as a custom, highly relevant, highly targeted study plan for you. Now that gives you a better chance of actually improving and being able to use what you're learning at your job or in your next career search. That's an incredible approach. I love that.
1: Yeah. And, and the timeliness of information is so important. I remember I have worked with organizations in the past that it's like, the student needs to be doing this thing at this point at this week doing that. And it's like, I don't know. I I tend to find people get stuck in a certain area and they kind of need to Mm -hmm. stay in that area as long as possible, as long as they need to, in order to get through it. Otherwise they mentally can't move on to the next thing because they're still sort of stuck in like, how do I network or what am I trying to do with my career? (laughs) Big questions, right? (laughs) And so like, but this is where I think motivation and, uh, you know, drive come into play because, you know, look, the job search is a long drawn out process. It can take anywhere from three to six months to a year, depending on someone's activities and, and all sorts of different stuff. And again, if you're native to the country, it's already a difficult situation with job boards and interviews and networking and all that stuff. Let alone if you again have these additional considerations. And so, when it comes to motivation and staying uh, driven or like engaged, what? How do you sort of tackle that motivation piece? in, in the, with the folks that you work with, are they pretty, Mm -hmm. you know, intrinsically motivated and like, you know, driven themselves? Do you have to create systems to, you know, help them stay engaged and not burn out? What, what are some of the things that you typically see?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I would say in general, um, if they've come to me, Looking for help with this particular issue, they're they're probably going to skew more towards being motivated, right? Because they're actively seeking help. Um, but that doesn't mean that like everybody all the time is just going to be able to persevere and constantly do exercises and show up to classes and stuff. If they start to feel like things aren't aren't going the way they want to, and so that's where you know, I think when it comes to language learning, one of the things that a lot of people want to avoid is feeling like they're alone. Like they don't wanna feel like they're alone in this. You know, they don't wanna just go buy a video course and watch videos because then again, they're alone. They don't really know if they're improving. They don't really know where the problems are. And so, you know, I, I, call, I call my platform a community for a reason. It's, it's really meant to be something that is highly interactive because I think that that's how you do maintain a lot of this motivation. So not only do you have the teachers, myself and and my staff kind of giving these corrections, giving these feedback uh, pieces, whether it's offline or in a class, but you have other students there as well that are actively learning with you, that are in the classes with you, that are encouraging you, that you're having conversations with offline. Um, that can help you feel like hey this is this is a community this is a group of people we're all working towards the same goal. Um, I want to be a part of that. And then what also happens is I think success becomes a little contagious. so you, you see one person and they're like, yeah, you know this I, I did really well at this today or I wanted to publish the stories to see what you guys think and then other people want to share too right So it's there, there are all these little like underlying systems in place to try to encourage you to, not only just, you know, use your language despite making mistakes, because I don't want you to grade yourself, but then to, to use it in a way where you actually are interacting with real human beings and not just, you know, some, some chat room or, or just like a, a graded paper you send in and then a week later someone replies to you. We interrupt
1: today's episode to let you know about Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program. If you're feeling paralyzed by job search procrastination and unsure of what to do next in your career, we're here to help. Each month as a member, you will get access to two one-on-one coaching calls, unlimited virtual chat with your coach via Slack, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions, and lifetime access to our eight-part job search curriculum want to take your search to the next level, head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free 15 minute consultation to chat with me today and see if coaching is right for you. Now back to our show. That's really cool. And I think that that plays into something that we spoke about before, which is the the three Ps of pessimism, right? And I'd love for you to just break those down real quick, because I do think it brings in a lot of like nuance into, into these topics that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the three P's are this concept that a psychologist by the name of Martin Seligman uh, originally wrote about, and it, it applies to a lot more areas of life than, than, than just language learning, but uh, from a language learning perspective, uh, what happens is, you know, let's, let's say you're, you're doing passive practice, you're getting stuck, you're watching all this TV and listening to these music, 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 listening to podcasts, whatever, you're not moving anywhere. So that's when the first P starts and that's personalization. So you start to think I'm too stupid. I'm the problem. This works for other people. It doesn't work for me. There must be something wrong with me. Then the second P starts, which is pervasiveness. So now it's not just you're bad at English. You're also bad at you know, interviewing and you're bad at writing resumes and hey, if I'm too stupid to learn English, then I'm definitely too stupid to um, apply for a new job. And then finally, the third P comes into play, which is permanence. And that's I'm never going to improve. So why should I even try? And then that's where you you talk about procrastinating job searches, procrastinating improvement, procrastinating reaching out of your comfort zone, because all of these things, these three P's have built up on top of each other. And you just feel stuck. Um, and I know when I heard when I first heard about these, um, it was very comforting to know that this was a thing, <laughs> because it really helps put your own feelings into perspective. Like until you know that this is this is such a popular thing that there's actually like a book written about it. That y- you know you think it's just you again personalization, but realizing that hey this is everyone's going through this. This is just what happens. You can now look at yourself and your own struggles a little more objectively as opposed to being so emotional about it. And then once we do that, we can start to to work on it and and make some real improvements.
1: Yeah. And that brings it right back to that loneliness piece and and being involved with other people. Like there's that great community that you're building. and, And in, you know, the case of my work, I also have like group coaching and things like that, that helps connect people to feel less isolated and alone but even just reading something like this or watching this video you know like just knowing that these problems exist outside of you eases some of that um that that isolation that feeling of isolation and but i do think that a lot of this stuff kind of we do take it really personal and and it affects our self image and i think mm-hmm. you know one of the things we're talking about here is communicating your values and a lot of that is storytelling and a lot of storytelling is rooted in believing the story. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times, um, the people that I'm working with, their sense of their own story is so negative or it's Mm -hmm. so scattered or they just don't even have a sense of their own self story. They're like, I don't know. I just kind of did things and I ended up here, you know, and, you know, you're talking about helping people refine their language and then once they get to a point where they can express this nuance how do you then help them better understand the story of their journey of how like even even of learning this language and how that plays into their story like how do you help people understand that sense of self or how deep do you get with it
0: yeah, it's a good question. And I think um, at a high level, a lot of what I'm doing is trying to take this inner person that we that they know they are and giving them the tools to to break out. And so, as a specific example, um, one of my students is this this really sweet woman from Bulgaria, and she's uh, like a program manager, uh, office manager for a firm. They do a lot of international business, so they they use English quite a bit. And when she first came to me, she complained about, you know, hey, I, people just don't understand what I'm saying. They try to end conversations with me quickly. Um, I feel like I'm talking in circles all the time. Um, I feel like people get the wrong idea of, you know, the the emotions that I'm explaining to them, whether that's politeness or something else. And it's it's just it's hurting my confidence. I feel it's also hurting my job performance. And so. You know, deep down inside, she knows and I know that she's a sweet, caring person, um, very intelligent, very good at her job, but it's just like the paintbrush that she has is a little broken, right? Or the colors that she has in front of her are the wrong colors. And so by working with her and doing some of this deliberate practice by focusing on the areas that are outside of her comfort zone, forcing her to, Hey, I want you to explain something complicated to me, or I want you to, um, write this email and ask me for three things and, and, and do it in a clear way, giving that feedback that sort of helped her now to say, okay, I'm starting to see where my original gaps were. I'm starting to see why, what I was originally saying was confusing. And then, what she told me is, hey, I'm using what you gave me here immediately at my job the very next day. And after a few months, she, she even told me, like, my relationships, both at work and in my life, are improving because of this, because I'm being able to, to more clearly express who I am. Right. So. I think to, to your point, right, like there, there's, there's certainly other things beyond English that can, or your language skills in general, that can force you to feel like, you know, your story isn't, isn't so great. Um, but in my case, it's more just the story that they have right now. They just can't even, they can't even tell it, even in the current state that it's in. And so I'm trying to get them to a point where they can tell it. So that way, that's one less hurdle to them then improving whatever that internal story is for, you know, the, the job interview or whatever it might be.
1: That's so important. I love that you, you broke it out that way because, um, and this is sort of coming to a point that I'm talking with people all the time about, which is like your career does not exist in isolation, right? It is incredibly tied in with everything going on in your life. Um, I was chatting with someone yesterday and like, or two days ago, and they were talking about You know, their parents came to town, and it just brought up Mm. all this stuff that, like, they've been sort of (laughs) holding on to resentments their whole life. And and I was like, "Let's look at what you're saying here." Because two calls ago, you talked about how you don't set good enough boundaries at work, and now you're talking Mm -hmm. about the boundaries that you're having a hard time setting with family when they're in town. And there's like everything is interconnected, and the same with our language, right? Like if we don't have, let's say, uh, a confident sense of self, um, it's going to show up at work, it's going to show up in our relationships, going to show up everywhere. If we do have a confident sense of self, but we don't know how to communicate it, in your case, that's going to show up at work, and that's going to show up everywhere else. If you are trying to communicate something nuanced, and you can't get it out, and you get frustrated with yourself, your tone is going to change. And this is mm. something I'm, I'm trying to help people with as well. And it's a very difficult thing to help people with. But like, understanding how much tone matters in what Mm. you say, right? You can say all the right words with the wrong tone and you're, you're in an argument all of a sudden. And anyone who's been in a relationship probably has experienced this, right? (laughs) Where it's like, I am hearing everything you're saying, but I'm not actually understanding it. And you can tell by my tone, right? Like, and so you end up Mm. in a tone argument, even though you're all saying the right words and And I think that there's just so much in there. Um, And and I think what you're doing to help people like build that confidence and be kinder to themselves, because I do think that that's a big piece of what we're talking about here is like, how can you just Mm be kinder to yourself as you're going through this incredibly complex, nuanced, difficult, long term skill building process, right? Like, Finding, getting good at getting a job is a long-term skill-focused, communication-heavy process. Learning a new language to the point where you are just like, you know, completely fluent is a very long-term, difficult um, communication process. And so what are the different um, ways that you've seen tone really play into it? Like, you know, there's the over-apologizing, which is like very concrete, but then there might be like... Mm -hmm different tones around it i know it's kind of an abstract question but what are your thoughts around it
0: yeah so it, it's funny because you know when you we were talking about that i definitely thought to, to my own life because you know there's been plenty of instances where i've like told my wife i'm sorry about something but then she won't be happy about it because she's like well you didn't mean it because you didn't say it the right way right you used the wrong tone like i didn't like your tone it's like what do you want i, I just said i'm sorry like, What's the problem?" so true um, which i'm sure is a story yes that many many people can relate to um but tone is is super important from a language learning perspective and this is again you asked at the beginning like what would separate someone who's intermediate and someone who's more advanced tone is a big part of it because um and that, that goes to not just verbal tone but also written tone the, the the words that you use and the way that you use them um so you know when i'm coaching my teachers to then coach students one of the things i'm telling them a lot is hey A lot of these people are already pretty solid with the basics. Like, I don't want you focusing on a ton of grammar rules with them. I want you to specifically look at their tone and and tell them how it sounds to your ear. And if there's something that they said or that they wrote that doesn't have any mistakes, but it doesn't sound the way that they intended it, or it sounds like something that you wouldn't hear a, a native person say, like, that's the thing I want you to correct, because that's the thing that is the least obvious to a non-native speaker. Like you can go online, there's dictionaries everywhere. You can look up terms, you can look up phrases. Um, but what you don't get from that is how does that just sound to a native speaker, right? How does that sound to a native speaker? And so that's where, you know, when, when students are going through this problem, when they're, when they're talking and, and when we're going through classes, like that's something that's top of mind. And when I'm giving feedback, especially in like a pronunciation class, it's, you know, we're, we're not only talking about pronouncing the words, but it's, you know, how are we combining these words? How is your tone going up or down in the, in the sentence? Right. So that way you can convey multiple layers of meaning in the way that you wanted it to. So I don't know if I asked, answered the exact question you were looking for there. If I didn't, you know, feel free to, to ask. Oh, it again, you, you but that's hit, the point you is hit that tone is super important.
1: Yeah. You okay. hit it on the head because I, I mean, there's, there's a lot we can do to you know, I, I think the way that you do it is really on point, right? You need to you kind of need to talk to real people to figure out tone because you can't just sit in a room talking to yourself and be like, Yeah, no, I'm using the right tone. <laughs> like it's it's just a very <laughs> odd thing to talk about. Um, but I do want to, you know, as we get to the end of the episode here, I want to talk about um putting yourself in the mind of the listener or the reader now, because we've spent so much time talking about this, like internal comfort level, this internal confidence, this uh, counting your mistakes and getting, being hard on yourself and like punishing yourself and all sorts of different things that people do. Right. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of this, when, when I'm working with job seekers and they go to an interview and they like beat themselves up after I'm like, have you ever, have you stopped to think about what the other person is experiencing? Or are you just looking Mm -hmm. at your own like experience of yourself in that moment? And I think that number one, that prevents connection. To just be yeah. so self self-focused and like, did I say that right? Are they judging me? It's like the classic quote, it's like, no one's thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you, right? <laughs> like, right. and that for exactly. me is like a superpower. <laughs> it's like people forget who I am. That's wonderful. I get to make another impression. Um, and yeah. so like when we sit down and we are writing or we're speaking to someone, how can we put ourselves in their shoes a little bit? And like, do you ever think about like you know, I I tend to find that people have much more people are much kinder to us than we are to ourselves. Sometimes let's say, um, when we're in these moments of struggle and we're a lot harder on ourselves than than maybe the interviewer or the networking person that we're talking to is, but what sort of things Mm -hmm. would you say to someone who like, is just having trouble getting in the mind of the listener or the mind of the reader?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, for me, it all comes down to getting feedback. And so, again like you said if you're by yourself and you're just saying something then yeah of course you're going to be self focused on whatever it is you're saying and writing and how good it sounds from your perspective but at some point you just you need to get somebody else to give you feedback on that thing and so like from a language perspective you know obviously that's what i'm doing in my platform but even if you're not there like there's a very easy way that you can go get feedback from Native speakers in in any language, whether it's English or maybe if you're learning Spanish or German or whatever, uh, there's a site called HighNative.com. You just go there. You can post questions about you know whatever it is that you're you're writing. Maybe you're trying to uh, prepare a job interview question. Uh, maybe you're trying to write an email that you're worried about the tone. You can just drop it on that site for free. Just say, hey, does this sound natural to you? And then post it. And it takes you two seconds and within like an hour or two, you have people that are giving you feedback, right? And so now you're going to actually see from that other person's perspective, how did this sound to them, right? Like, what do they think? Like, are they going to pick on the same parts that I was picking on? Chances are probably not. And are they going to pull up something that I didn't even consider? Yes, probably. And so to me, the best way to get into the mind of that listener or the reader is to ask a listener or a reader, what do they think? What is the feedback, right? Um, and so again, like a tool like that, or whether it's my community or that tool or whatnot, wherever you go, you just, you can't do everything in isolation. You can't do everything by yourself. At some point, as, as scary as it might be, as awkward as it might feel, you need to put that thing in front of somebody else and see what they have to say about it. At least that's how I would approach it from a tactical perspective, from a, a language learning uh, yeah,
1: point of view. A hundred percent. And I appreciate you sharing some of these tools. I know that like a couple tools that I've seen uh, recommended in the past for people, maybe maybe not international people, but, or uh, people learning languages, but just generally about communication is the Hemingway app.com and Grammarly. Mm-hmm. Have you utilized any of yeah. these? Do you feel like they're good resources? Like what, what's your sort of view on these different types of grammar apps?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I use Grammarly um, every day with all the stuff that I do. Um, and it, it has helped me quite a bit because it does give you, again, instant feedback, instant perspective on, on what it is you're sounding like or how something could be clearer. Um, you know, as, as sort of a more technical person, you know, I started in like pure IT before getting to sales and, and then before getting to where I'm at now, which is, you know, owning a business and having to do a lot of marketing. Like I basically went from super long, complex, like descriptions of things to, okay, how do I make this simpler? How do I make this simpler? How do I make this simpler? And then from a marketing perspective, it almost seems like you're breaking a lot of the rules that you were originally taught, like, oh, full sentences and connectors. And no, it's just speak simple, break it up, right? Like you can start a sentence with and, and you can keep it brief, right? So I wouldn't have known that though, had I not been getting feedback along the way, whether it was from potential clients or the lack of potential clients or how people reacted in a sales meeting that I was giving. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, tools like that are, are good. Uh, another good tool for like a language learner is a tool called DeepL, which, um, a lot of people are familiar with like Google translate, which is fine, but like DeepL is super accurate. <laughs> like when you put in something into DeepL, you get like a very natural translation out on the other side of it. And so, one of the deliberate practice techniques that I that I often tell people to do is, you know, you're going to write a short little story, 50 to 100 words, about something you're excited about, and then the first thing you're going to do after you write that is throw it into DeepL. Well, throw your native language version of that into DeepL and start to compare. Okay, so what did DeepL say versus what I wrote? Hmm. Here are some things I could fix. Then second step, get another round of feedback from a native speaker by throwing that same sort of medium corrected piece of information out to high native, like we mentioned earlier, to get another layer of feedback. And so now this thing that used to just be you in isolation, because people talk about, oh, I write in my journal all the time. Cool. But it used to be isolated. Now it's very public, right? It's it's very hey, I, I not only got a robot to tell me what it thought about this, but I also got other real humans to tell me what I thought about it as well. So yeah, I mean tools like that are, are great and because it is basically feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. That's what it's all closing about. that loop. Closing that feedback
1: loop. I love closing it. Closing the loop. And and that and I will even say like the Hemingway um, app website, like one of the things that they point out there is to write at a sixth grade reading level. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think people don't always know that. So I just wanted to get that out there. It's like, you're not supposed to be writing with these like flowery, ridiculous words, trying to sound smart. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to write for clarity. And I, I give so much credit to my, my marketing background for helping me with that kind of stuff and like getting things down to really tight, easy to understand phrases. It just, it helps so much for people's understanding as well as tone and like, you know, Mm -hmm. getting something across in a way that doesn't make someone feel stupid
0: or doesn't make someone feel like whatever. Yeah. Right. Well, and and that's huge because that problem that you're describing now is something I see in my more advanced students. So these people are, are really good at English now and they still feel inferior because they're like, well, I don't, I don't have all these really flowery, flowery terms. I don't have all these academic words. Like I'm just using basic words, like, you know, Hey, what do you want to do tomorrow? i like, well, that's uh-huh. how we say it. That's, that's what we uh-huh. talk about. Like, that's exactly what you want to say. Um, and so it's like, you know, they start to, to get to this other end of the spectrum and they think they need more and more and more and more and more, when really now the feedback is more about, hey, 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 bring, bring it back down. Like, this this is the level. This is what Native people are saying. But yeah. that is, again, another nuance that's lost on, especially if you don't live in an English-speaking country, um, you know, you, you still have English classes in school, but a lot of your teachers are, are not native speakers. And so, you know, not, not, I'm not meaning to disparage anyone, but it, there's just that layer of nuance that you miss. So they might be teaching all these flowery expressions that sound really advanced, but unless you actually talk to someone who, who is a native in this, in this language, you don't really know is, hey, is this something that's actually used? Is this something that people are going to actually understand or not? And again, it comes yeah. back to
1: feedback. Yeah. And that's, that's really, I think that there was, there's some book, something Babel by Jonathan, can't remember mm-hmm. his name. Anyway, it's, it was about the difference between written language and spoken language and how um, written language is incredibly complex. And we hold on to words longer than we mm-hmm. should, because the verbal language is actually a much more truncated version of the written language. Like the words that we actually use on a daily basis is only a small percentage of the right. amount of words that exist in that language. And to be, mm-hmm. you know, able to to work in that world, you really only need a small percentage of that language. And um I do think that like, you know, the old, the old adage of less is more is so true. And it's, it's really cool. And so as we wrap things up here, I'd love to share a little bit about how people can find out more about what you're working on, Kevin, where they can find you, what they can uh, engage
0: with right now and, uh, and, and point them in the right direction. Sure. So the best place to go is to deliberateenglish.com, And that's where you can pick up a free copy of my guide, three steps to speak more confidently at work. And so that goes much deeper into a lot of the strategies and the techniques that we've been talking about today. It'll talk about how you can start to build some of these feedback loops into your own life. Um, And there are also some specific deliberate practice techniques and practice routines that you can start doing in your life today for free, 15 minutes a day to start making some noticeable progress. And so that's where I would encourage everyone to go first, go there, grab that guide, dig deeper into the space, and that'll also put us in touch via email then. So I'll be able to get to learn a little bit more about you, what your challenges are, what's the hardest thing about English for you right now, so we can start to have a dialogue and, and think about ways that we can help you get past those hurdles. Because I told you a couple of days ago Martin like Nobody really wants to be a professional English speaker. Like that's, that's not why they're taking classes. They, they just, they, they want to get a better job. They want to earn more money. They want to provide for their family. English is just a tool to get them there. And so that's, that's my job is to get you the confidence you need with your English so that it doesn't get in the way of your real life goals.
1: I love it. And we'll link that all down below. And Kevin, thanks so much for spending time with us today.
0: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of
0: your career. Have a good one.